The Shep Nas Podcast begins now. Welcome to the Shep Nas Podcast. My name is Joe, and today we're going to be hearing from Evangelist Jeremiah Bullock. All this week, we've been ministered to through services on Sunday morning to Sunday evening, and then each evening on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Over the next few days, we are revisiting some of these messages. We challenge you to really seek the Lord and how the teaching being presented should be applied in your life. Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, super excited about tonight, and uh, just the gravity, really sensed His presence from the moment came on the grounds, which is wonderful. I want to look with you at verses 18 down through chapter 2, verse 6, and uh, probably my favorite stretch um, in his letter. Listen, I was, uh, was talking with a few people today about <clears throat> just who we are in the body, and uh, I do. I really, really, I really authentically find in the Word this astounding picture um, when you, and, and we were not going to get to this tonight, but although it's the last night, so I could probably just do whatever I wanted as long as I want. When you go down through the end of chapter six, he's talking about, he uses one new man language, one new kind of human being. It's the same language that Jesus used in chapter six of, of John's gospel that Jesus came that there might be a whole new human being, okay? So there is this, there is this, you know, portion of this chapter where Jesus talks about Gentiles who were far away being brought near, and then, of course, the people of Israel that God had, that God had called to steward His land. The land doesn't belong to Israel. It belongs to Jesus, it's the land of inheritance where Jesus would rule. They just stewarded it. In fact, you go throughout the Old Testament. Um, from time to time, they were moved from the land because they just weren't good stewards of it. And, and you go back and look specifically in Leviticus. God's like, this is mine. And he gives all these kind of pronouncements. If you don't steward it, you're out. <laughs> I'll call you back because I love you, but yeah, this is mine, okay? And, and so Jesus comes and he, he brings both of these. And, and Paul says he breaks down the wall of hostility to take both and bring them into a new thing which is called the kingdom. And it's, it's, this, it's this person that is worthy to receive the inheritance that the father wants to give to his kids. And you say, what would that look like? Jesus. Jesus, in, 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 John, in Revelation chapter 5, John sees Jesus approach the throne and, and God has this scroll in his hand, and it's this land deed. It's this inheritance of everything that God wants to, to give to his children. And Jesus receives it. He wants to share it with you and I. And it's astounding when you begin to, when you begin to just believe. The key is just to believe who you are. Stop saying things about yourself that are not true. Stop it. That's one of my favorite things Rob always says. Stop that. <laughs> McCorkle. McCorkle always says that when I'm saying something, he'll be like, stop that, you know? And I'm like, yes, sir, I will, you know? But he's, 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 he's dead on. I, I cannot speak anything about myself that the Father wouldn't say about me because he knows me better than I do. He knows me better than I do. And so who you are is astounding. 
Just write it on your mirror in permanent marker as you're getting ready in the morning. Like, you're, you're astonishing. You are literally a gift to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your neighbors, to your parents. You're the housing of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. And if you walk around realizing, I want to dispense him everywhere. I want everyone to feel the way that I feel. That's, that's what this thing is about. Now, when you have that kind of value, there has to be there has to be accountability. The, the, the unity that um, Paul talks about in this letter and in all of his letters. I mean, Jesus prays. The final prayer that we have recorded in John 17 is Jesus says, let them be one. You, you cannot operate in unforgiveness and bitterness. And I didn't get to this this week, but we'll talk about it just real quickly. Um, when you... When you operate in unforgiveness, whether it's towards someone else or yourself, what you're doing is you have this little hole in your chest with like a door and from time to time you'll open it up and you'll take someone out or you'll take yourself out and whenever that person or a circumstance comes up and you're triggered, you open it up and you'll pull it out and you'll just, and then you put it back in, you shut the door. Oh yeah, I saw so-and-so today. Oh yeah. And there's this, there's this lie of the enemy that, you know, you just can't forgive them, you know, because the lie is that somehow my forgiving them makes everything they did okay. That's not true. Your forgiveness is not about them. I mean, it really isn't. You're like, if it's not about them, who is it about? It's about you. Your forgiveness doesn't transform anybody. His forgiveness is the only one that can transform. It's him who transforms. Well, then why would I forgive? It's about you. You need to move on. Your life cannot be defined by some event. And, I, and the reason I tell my story and some of my testimony is it was bad. It was bad. I was a, I, I lived, it was rough. And, and if I were to tell my full story, people, I, I, I'd done it in a few settings and I was at a CR meeting one time at United Methodist Church in um, Illinois. And I told my full story and this guy comes up to me and goes, I would have never guessed that because it doesn't define me. It, I remember it. There's times it's painful, but it, that is not going to be the defining factor of my life. A person is the defining factor of my life. I'm forgiven. And I'm not just forgiven, man. I'm new. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. My past is nailed to a cross. And I have his past. That's who you are. And there comes a time where you're going to have to open your chest and take out that person or yourself and say, you know what? I'm going to let you deal with that bozo. That bozo in Jesus' name. Yeah, I let you have him. Why? Because you know him better. I can't fix him. And I'm going to forgive him. There may be boundaries I set up. There may be all kinds of things. And, and those kinds of decisions, here's what I'm getting at. Those kinds of decisions you were not meant to make on your own. One of the biggest problems I, I, I begin to see as I begin to talk about this is you have individuals who have callings and those kinds of things and they just run off and they've got a word or they've got this or they've got that. And I'm, I, I believe you, but that is to be expressed, shaped and stewarded by a body of believers. And specifically your leadership, led by a pastor. God put him here. 
I am not your pastor. You are not your pastor. He is your pastor. Shake your heads. Amen, Jeremiah. He's killing it. Jeremiah's killing it tonight. Wow. Yeah, which is why if you're watching online, I love it. I love it in the lives that we live and how busy we are to be able to go back and rewatch things. This is phenomenal. Like this is incredible. I told, told Rob, I said, can I come by sometime and just by myself in the sanctuary and preach and record it? Because it's like really good. He's like, absolutely. So this is outstanding what you have, but watching it online at home in your underwear, though is wonderful. I do it. Okay. It is not, that's not the body. I need you. One of us, a man says, I I need you. You need each other. We're a body of believers. The eye cannot say to the hand, you've read that passage, right? The arm can't say to the leg, we're a body of believers. You need to be a part and you need to contribute. We need your voice. And it's stewarded and shaped because I was not meant to hear from him and interpret him and incorporate his voice in my life apart from you. If you don't say amen, I'm just going to go way long. Okay. So li- literally, you're, you're tremendous. It's biblical. Not my, this isn't my opinion. I don't know you. But from a biblical perspective, how he sees you is astonishing. There's an old movie. It's the, it's the chosen before the chosen. And it's, it's um, I think it was early 70s, the Jesus of Nazareth. Anybody watch that? You got to watch that, man. Oh, that thing is so good. And there's this one part in that movie when Jesus is calling Peter. And he comes up and he, he talks to him. He's looking at his boat and he's got this smile on his face. And he's just staring at Peter in the movie. And, he's, and Peter comes up and he goes, what are you looking at? And then he just kind of, he realizes he's staring at Peter and Jesus is looking at him and seeing him through the eyes of the Father. I think that's awesome. And when you begin to see yourself, your value in light of how he sees you, you will never be the same. You'll never be the same. Amen? Let me walk you through uh, just the the last part of this. It's been a privilege to be with you. Um, As we've been talking about, um, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and he he tells them that though we have all kinds of things in this world, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Jesus had had persecution from religious leaders. I mean, he told his disciples that, you know, you're going to be, you're going to experience persecution. There were Romans. There was all these kinds of physical hurdles and challenges and sicknesses going on. They had that. I mean, Paul writes to Timothy in the Timothy letters when he's in prison and he says, have a little wine for your stomach. Timothy wasn't a Nazarene. He says, uh, he says, have a little, have a little wine for your stomach. Why? Well, you'd think he just said, pray for healing. Well, apparently that didn't happen. And he had to live with some things. So we have physical challenges in this world. So he's not denying that. But the solution and the guidance to navigate our world is here. And where your enemy attacks you is here. And what literally, again, guides us and, and, and is the solution for what we're finding physically is in, this, in the spiritual. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You have an adversary. And where we war is in the spiritual. The, the issues in our country are real, but they're solved spiritually. We need a mighty revival going through our land. She prayed it. We need a movement of God in our, in our, in our um, leadership of our country, in Congress, in the Senate, the White House. 
We need a movement of God. That's what we need. We don't need to storm the White House. Like all those, all those bozo, they come from Tennessee. I live around them. Okay? Yeah. That's not going to fix the problem, man. We need a movement of God in our world. And, G, and, and Paul highlights that because he comes from that tradition. He comes, and, and most people don't know, again, that not everybody had Scripture as accessible to us as we do, which is a blessing, obviously. They had the apostles and prophets who had come out of that tradition. So that was the lens. This wasn't just a brand new thing. This is what God had been saying from the beginning. Everything we have preached in the New Testament, like, like the Scripture when they're saying, you know, hey, preach the Word, that's the Old Covenant Scripture. This isn't a new idea. It's what God had been planning from the beginning. Our adversary was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. He's jealous of you. He desires what you carry. Why? You're sons and daughters of God. You are. You are the only ones created in the image and likeness of God. Angels are not created in the image and likeness of God. You are. That's astounding. You literally have his spiritual DNA. You are his house in a way that an angel is not. Wow. That's where you sit up and go, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, I believe. I receive it. No, hey, I'm not saying I'm worthy. I, I, this is not because of. But literally, it's not humility to say, well, you know, not me. That is an affront. That is literally denying the inheritance that you have in Christ. So Paul, as he, by the time he gets there, that's the lens. For two years, he taught this. If you go back to Acts chapter 19 and read 19, 20, and 21, there's just several great passages, great, great um, kind of context for this letter. And, and, and as a matter of fact, we know more about the church in Ephesus than we know about any New Testament church. We know how it began in Acts 19. We have letters here, this letter. We have the letters of Timothy who was pastoring Ephesus while Paul was away. We have the book of Revelation chapter, um, chapters 2 and 3. We have the first church, which is Ephesus. And then literally all the churches that came from that church we have a reference to what's going on at that time. And Jesus is like, return, come back to me. In fact, he says, I want you to have what your grandma and grandpa had. I want you to have what they had at the beginning. This, we just have all kinds of information about Ephesus. And, and which is really enlightening because Paul had been teaching on this lens for like 20 years. It's incredible. So by the time we come here, we begin to look at some of the some of the kind of, this is just a cohesive letter where he kind of puts it all together. It's really valuable, really, really valuable. And in the first two chapters, but really three, he's really speaking of our identity, just really reinforcing. This is what I've been telling you for two years. We began last night with this section in verse 18, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Your heart does not have eyeballs. Okay. So he's talking about your, your, your spiritual perception. And he says, enlightened that term enlightened is a perception idea it's not not i want you to see you were created we all see but you were created to see you were created to see and paul says man i want you to see this i want you to see this i want you to see this hope that we have and again the hope is not the hope of the world it's not like lucky 11 not that kind of hope this is his hope this is a sure thing my hope is in jesus who kills it every time. So it says, I want you to see who you are through his eyes, 
And there's two aspects of that. Last night we talked about the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I don't receive my inheritance. I receive his. That's crazy. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> That's crazy. I receive his inheritance. We're going to find down in chapter 2, verse 6, I'm seated in Christ. The moment you get saved, you are seated in a place where you will never again be able to be promoted. That's <laughs> ridiculous. It's like you arrived. Amen. This is incredible. It's our inheritance. It's his. How the father talked to him, you can talk with him. How he walked boldly in the throne room, you can as well. He's not, it's not formal. Paul says you can call him Abba, which means dad. It's intimate language. The things he did, you're supposed to be doing. How the father walked with him. The protection. It's astounding. And if the enemy can keep you from believing that, he has access to your life. But once you begin to believe who you are in Christ, you can look at the enemy and say, not today. If you're talking, you're walking. I ain't listening to you. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we're dumbfounded. It's incredible, man. It's our inheritance. It's the first thing. Now, the second thing, oh, this is the best part. That, the next thing we get is not just his inheritance, but we get his incomparably. <laughs> this is so good. His incomparably great power for us who believe. I love my tribe. I do. I think God specifically put me in the church of the Nazarene. I love it. I love what we preach. I love our history. I love what God was doing through Phineas Brzee. I just, wow. We are a stoic people. We are. We are a stoic people, man. I do. I go to these certain charismatic groups and they're just like running and screaming. I'm hiding under the seats. It's like intense, you know. We have, a, we have a really, I, I love, I, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. You're never going to struggle, you may, but I don't think your biggest problem is pride. There are people who, there are people who probably feel entitled and, okay, but just, man, I hear Nazarene say stuff like, well, it's him, not me. That's just, come on. He lives in you. And I, don't, I can't tell if it's, if it's wanting to be hum, humble, but through deception, or if it's just through, I don't want to get involved and be lazy. Let me give you this really quickly. Um, I was raised in a non-Christian home. I was raised in a, my mom, was, my mom loved Jesus. My dad thought he loved Jesus. And it was a mess for a long time. My dad ended up becoming a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. A uh, very violent guy, two tours of Vietnam, lived with his fist his whole life, died as a result of a fist fight on the side of the road. Bad. In the home life I grew up in. Um, yet in spite of, and I don't know if in spite's the right word, but in spite of growing up, growing up in that environment, I don't know how much of this I can go through, but my dad left and my mom was left to raise us by herself the best she could. And we had a next door neighbor. His name was Fred. 
and he was in his mid, he was in early 80s when I first met him when I was a kid, died in his late 90s. He retired from, I think, General Motors, but stayed in the area, was paying off some debt, paying off his house. I think some family were there, and, and they left one by one to Florida, and he was planning to retire in Florida. But he never left because of my mom. And my mom grew up in a, had a bad marriage, grew up in a horrible home life where she was abused by her father, and it was just bad family. I come home one day with my sisters on the bus, and we get off the bus, and our house, single mom, 90, 100 hours a week, she's trying to support three kids. Our house was the only one was always a wreck, nothing's fixed, yards never mowed, reckless son, all that. And I get off the, the bus, and our yard's mowed, and there's this yellow, I'll never forget, it's this yellow Cub Cadet tractor sitting in the driveway. And there's this old bald guy, little tiny guy, in our, and our garage door's open, and he's in our garage. And Tamara looks at me, and I look at her, and I'm like, who is that guy? And we walk up, and I go in front of him, and I said, hey, can I help you? He's over tinkering by the water, by the water softener. And I say, hey, can I help you? And he's like, no. I was like, what do you mean, no? And he turns around, and he goes, hey, man, this has been leaking all over the garage. I was like, yeah, it's always done that. It's supposed to do that. And he brought me over, and he showed me how to solder. You know, clean it up, shut off the water, put the flux on, you know, you touch it. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever, right? He's like, is there anything else that needs to fix in the house? I was like, yeah, this place is a dump, man. Yeah. So we did, we went through and he fixed wall sockets and, and, and changed out the little things in the, so when you turn on the, the water, it doesn't go, you know, it'll actually pour. I was like, wow, you know, he had them all sitting in this like D-limer and all this kind of stuff. He was there for like three or four hours fixing our whole house. He says, by the way, uh, I mowed your lawn. I said, yeah, the, lawn, the lawnmower's broken. He goes, yeah, I fixed that. I was like, you didn't have to do that. I didn't want to mow the lawn. So he fixed all that stuff and he fixed the garage door opener because it, had not all the, it wouldn't shut all the way. And mom just left it up. So he fixed it and it went down and went home. Mom came home that day and she's like, I fixed the yard or you, you mowed the lawn. I was like, no, Fred did. She's like, who's Fred? I'm like, he's that serial killer that was in our house when I got home today. So she goes over and talks to him. My mom, very aggressive, single mom, has some money, puts it in his hand, wouldn't receive it, puts it in his hand, he received it. Then we'd find it on our, our, our mailbox. And uh, he just loved on her. And he, it was so interesting. He was so, so strategic. It was intentional. He never moved. He died in Indiana. He never moved down with his family because of my mom. And he became a, he became a pop, papa to her when she found um, that she had cancer when, she, when I was in high school. He was the first person she told. He led her to the Lord when I was in high school. If you are 65 years and older, you have a free, you have a free pass in the life of any single mom in your neighborhood, period. You're safe. You're Fred. And I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, God's going to open those kind of opportunities for you. They're not just going to wander in here. They need loved. And I watched it from Fred. Become 
Make her, make her so dependent upon you that when her car breaks down, she calls you. <clears throat> when the kids are sick, she calls you. That's what Fred did. He would come over and say, do not call a maintenance man. I'll fix it. No, I'll fix it. I'll pick up, take my truck. He loved her. He prayed for her. That's the body. That's who you are. We have young men and women in our, in our, in our, in our neighborhoods that desperately need love. Not this kind of love. Bake them pies. Send them over. Tell them. Say, listen, a couple times a week, I know you have daycare. Save some money. Send them to us. We'll brainwash them while you're gone. Yeah, we'll love on them. Come on, that's the body. I'm a product of that. You're like, why would you bring that up? That's this power. There's all kinds of power. The incomparably great power There's like five or six different words for power. The word for power used in chapter 6, verse 12, rulers, authorities, powers. The demonic has power. The Greek word that that is used there for the demonic is never used by Jesus, the Father, or the church, ever. It's two words together, and it means world or the people of the world controlling. Manipulation. That's a demonic that's a demonic element of getting someone to do, exerting power to get them to do something. We never do that. Well, what kind of power do we use to minister to a lost world? We love them. Uh, several different words for power. This one is phenomenal. In fact, it's so significant. He doesn't, inher- he doesn't elaborate on inheritance. He elaborates on this power. He says, we have incomparably great power for us who believe. Then he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in your body. Now that's a great bumper sticker, but what does that mean? What does it mean to have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? I've wanted a lot of power as a Christian. This is hilarious. I think there's a stewardship. God, God's not going to give you something that's going to destroy you. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it's Wednesday night and I'm leaving anyway. And I already got my check. <laughs> but I go to churches and they're like, you know, we want to be on the, we want to go and go overseas and, and be, do some missions work and, and all this. And I'm like, I don't know if I would vet that group. Anybody who's not interested in, in, in participating in the mission of going to my next door neighbor, you're not allowed to go overseas. Oh, praise God. I was, I was expecting a different reaction. Yeah. Come on. You don't have to go to Africa to do missions. He's against Africa. No, I'm not. Your mission field is where you work. It's that person that God has put right beside you. And I, I, I'm not a fan of just, yeah, we went on this mission trip. Yeah, that's cool. You want to hear about it? Not really. Tell me about the mission field in your neighborhood. That's the mission field we're talking about. That's the ministry that we're getting at. When we're talking about this power that he's talking about, like, what does it mean? God's not going to let you steward something. Is overseas a possibility? Yes, but I, that's, we, Christians want to jump from like one to 10 really quickly. 
Like her people say, man, I want to prophesy and heal. That's fantastic, teens. But maybe you should start by just getting up 15 minutes more and reading your Bible. Just a thought. Yeah, get up 20 minutes before you go to work and pray for your kids. Get up 10 minutes before you'd normally wake them up for like 15 times in a row. I said, get out of bed. That's fine. But before you do that, walk in and pray over them. Yeah, we're to be, we're to steward. So this power we're talking about is really interesting. And there are certain power things that I've wanted. And again, Rob McCorkle and Chad Seabright, two of my best friends, they always tell me, (laughs) this is hilarious. I was going to tell you, I've always wanted that power that Benny Hinn has. You know, where they go whack and someone like flips out and all that, right? I'd be like, I'd be down there at Walmart. I'd be going, bah, bah, bah. And Rob's like, and that's why you don't have that power, Jeremiah. That's why you don't have it. <laughs> you know, we, we've got to be able to steward. God wants to use you. And he does. He, uh, he, but there's, there's I'm, I, I've met people that if they begin to hear from the Spirit, they want to hear and have words of knowledge for people. Could you imagine being able to hear what's going on in a room like Jesus did and not pick up a fence over the thoughts that are coming out? Yeah, I don't know if I want to hear your thoughts. There's a steward about that. There's a stewardship that comes with power. This power is, 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 is unlike those kinds, because there's all kinds of power. There's the power of calming the storms. There's the power of, of walking across the water. There's, there's the power of raising people from the dead, which is not that power. You're like, hold on, it talks about raising Jesus from the dead. That's a different power. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Six months later, got some rare, rare virus, went right back in the grave. Jairus' daughter, raised from the dead, absolutely. She grew older, died again. Jesus never died. He went in and the grave could not hold him and he, wow. That power that lives, in, that, that lives in you is that power. Now, again, we need to explain that. The power that raised Jesus from the grave, I still don't quite, because I didn't quite grasp it. Again, we talked yesterday about justification. I'll be very quick on this. And it is deep, but in order to understand, you just have to go deep. So when Jesus, you understand when Jesus died on the cross, this wasn't just a culmination of all like the, the thing he was picking on religious leaders. This was prophesied from the beginning. Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going to die. He was not murdered and he was not a victim. He, Matthew says, he set his jaw like a flint. I have no idea what that means, but I think it just means. And he went to Jerusalem, crawled up on that cross and died for you and me. There was purpose in it. He wasn't a victim. It was a part of God's plan to take everything, all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, and bring it into himself and take who he is in his inheritance and give it to us. And Jesus, when he went into the grave, did not go into the grave as a good man. Scripture says, Isaiah in particular, chapter 52 and 53, he was buried with the wicked in his death. He died with your sin and my sin. The worst of humanity. When Jesus went into the grave, he went in as a pedophile. He went as a rapist, a murderer, a liar. That's who he went into the grave as. And God, the miracle of the resurrection is not just coming out of the grave. That had been done. The miracle of the resurrection is God was able to take that kind of person and seat him in perfection at his right hand, which is what baptism is. We were buried into his death and we are raised out a new person. Gives me cold chills. 
that power, which we would, John Wesley would call the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, lives in you. You're a new creation and you can live a holy life. You can live above sin. Why? Because I have a new nature. We make entire sanctification like really hard if you've ever even heard of it. I'm sure pastors talked about it, but pastor probably like me, people tell me, why don't you ever preach on sanctification? When do I not preach on it? You're set apart. The same sanctifying work of God that took his son who knew no sin, who took the sin of a world as if he did it himself, took the punishment of it, went into the grave. God took that person out and seated him at perfection. And God says, if I can do that with him, I can do that with you. I meet people who who live in this habitual sin. That's got to die tonight. You can be free. There's no power in hell that can hold on to me. Nothing in my past. I I talked with someone recently, actually this evening, about grieving. Grieving's wonderful. Jesus grieved. We're supposed to grieve. There's healthy grieving, and then there's unhealthy grieving. There can be unhealthy grieving. It's a twist of the enemy. God wants you to live in a healthy way. This is the power that he's talking about. Now let's, that's a lot, but let's, let me pack in a little bit more around the corners as you go down through this verse. That same power that raised Jesus from the grave and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, listen to how he, he finishes this. Far above, and then he says, every rule, authority, power, and dominion. That sounds like the four things that were plaguing us in, Revelation, or in Ephesians 6.12. He's seated above those. Meaning, they cannot touch him anymore. And as you look at this description of Jesus, whom is the one who receives the kingdom, God only lets, God is not going to give his inheritance, he's not going to give the kingdom to murderers, liars, or those who are not worthy. He's going to give them to his sons and daughters. What does it look like, Jesus? And Jesus is in the business of making you and I look like him. Isn't that fantastic? So Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms far above. Not only those things, but every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but in the age to come. Wow. Wow. It's like God the Father, then there's Jesus and his bride and everyone else. If you only knew who you were. If you only knew who you were. Verse, verse 20, he goes on, he says, This power, or excuse me, verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's a huge statement, which is the fullness of his body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But he's head of everything for the church. So Jesus is a head of not just protection and sourcing and love. He's head of your discipline. He's head of, in John chapter 15, he prunes us. The enemy has no role in our life, whether he's right or wrong. Now, again, we talked about this. Why we talked about this? Either last night, or the night before last. Monday night, sin. 
If you're living in rebellion against God, it's not just something you're doing you shouldn't be doing. You're literally looking at Jesus and saying, I don't want to be in your kingdom. This is, I hope I don't cause trouble for you, but God, Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. Jesus will never send anybody to hell. If you end up in hell, it's not because he sent you there. It's you refused to be saved. That's the people that end up in hell. Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Period. That's the whole story of the older brother and the prodigal son. Jesus comes out and he's like, listen, there's a party in here. It's like, this is, it is incredible. You got to come in. Oh, the guy's like, I don't want to. Like, there's, there's diet seven up in here. It's incredible. Yeah, come on, man. This ain't Subway. There's firehouse subs in this joint. You got to get in here. And he would not go in. They hold on to things. We hold on to things in our path. We learn to survive as a victim. We get our identity as a victim. Oh, you don't know what's happened to me. Yeah, I, I'm not belittling it, but it's not supposed to define you. Well, you don't know how I was. I get it. I get it. It was bad. Wouldn't it be great to just get rid of it? There's a refusal. That's what unbelief is. When you and I continue to talk about one another in a way, or ourselves in a way that is not the way he talks about us, it's a lie. <laughs> just believe. I believe. That's it. God's like, how can I make this simple? I know, just say I believe. Everybody in heaven was like, dude, that's way too easy. No, trust me, they ain't going to make it if that's any harder. <laughs> yeah, you ain't going to make it if it's any harder than that. That, that's what's so astounding. And, and I, I, I don't want to make this real long, but when you go back in the Old Testament, <laughs> this was, there was all kinds of things as a brand new Christian. When I began to read the word, honestly, I ran across 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's 1 verse 18, verse 10, it's in there somewhere. It's right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And Paul's like, this, what I'm about to tell you is foolishness. No one's going to believe this. Like, this is hard to believe. It is like all of this stuff in the Old Testament that was so bizarre that they wanted so bad. That was the story of Jacob and Esau. They're fighting over the birthright and the blessing and he wears goat skin. If you ever read the story, you got to read it. It's hilarious. He's, he puts on goat skin. His mom sends him in there with the burger that he made that, you know, she was already making and, 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 and Isaac falls for the whole thing. He was bad. He was bad. So he gets the blessing and he leaves. Esau comes back and he's like, I'm going to kill that pipsqueak. Jacob runs. And I did not make sense. Esau got the house. He got the servants. He got the money. He got the land. He got the four-wheelers, the boat. He got everything. What did Jacob get? They knew. I get him. I get him. It's utterly astounding. And I don't have to earn it. They have this heritage in, in Abraham. Abraham grabs Abram. He says, I'm about to change your name. I'm going to mix it with my name. That's how he got Abraham and Sarah. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make this covenant with you. And man, he knows what covenant's about. He splits the animal in half and the doves and leaves everything out. And this fire, and what the covenant was is when you made this covenant, and Abraham's scared to death because he's making a covenant with God who's like perfect. And in their culture, they would make a covenant with someone and they would do this and they would walk back and forth in the blood 
And they would say, if I break the covenant, you can do this to me. If you break the covenant, I can do this to you. That's what they were saying. So God says, set that up. I want to do that. Abraham should have been like, uh, no. Because God's perfect. So God comes down in his, with this fire pot. There's all kinds of significance. And, but it goes through it. So God goes back and through, back and forth through it. And then as soon as Abraham starts to set, he pushes Abraham aside and he does it again. And Abraham knows exactly what he says. He says, well, let me get this straight. You're going to fulfill every promise to me. And if you don't do it, I can do that to you. And if I don't do it, you can do that to me. I, I can do that to you again. G, that, 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 was, that was the sacrificial lamb with, with Abraham and Isaac. That was Jesus. Like, the only way you're not going to be who God wants you to be is if you just don't want to. So God has placed everything in the hands of Jesus for you. Everything. He is in charge of your, your pruning. He will correct you. And again, if you're living in sin, you're literally, you're letting the enemy in your life if you're living in rebellion. But if you have a moment of weakness and you say something you're tired or you say something you shouldn't or blah, 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 and you love Jesus, he's, going, he's the one that's going to discipline and shape and the enemy's going to come to you. But when he does, he doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit because you're spending so much time with him and you're in his word. You can recognize. That's what's so huge for you teens. You with me? That's what's so big. Yeah, come on, lock in. <laughs> they won't let me do that to them, but I could do that to you. So yeah, you should be spending so much time with Jesus, you know his voice. So when the enemy comes, he's going to come to you and say, yeah, but you were wrong. And it's none of your business. Because he's in charge of everything for the church. Wow. Now it gets even better. This is the end. He goes into and he says, now Listen concerning what I'm talking about with you, we just talked about Jesus. He's head over everything for the church. Let's talk about us as the church. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Note about the, notice the two categories of sin we talked about, transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. When you're living in disobedience, guess what spirit's working in you? Yes, you were underneath the deception and, and oppression of the enemy. Paul says, that's who you were, man. The church literally offers something that the world can't offer. You are not an affirming, I'm going to love you in your sin body. You bring the good news that you could be a new creation. You could be different. You mean the way that I used to feel, I don't have to feel anymore? Yes thought you'd be excited that's like that's a big point yeah you were under the ruler of the air and the spirit of the air you were under the demonic rulings what he says we all of us lived like that at one time verse three all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature following his desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath but because this is crazy this is how far god has gone but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in those transgressions and sins. It's by grace you've been saved. You're like, hold on. 
God was working in my life and put me underneath Christ even before I was saved. Satan is not even in charge of those. He doesn't have free will in, in, in someone's life who's not saved if they are not like come into my life. So when, when we were living in the world, do you realize you just didn't decide to come to Jesus? That God was working on your behalf. He was wooing you. He was protecting you when you didn't deserve to be protected. He was buffering your decisions, not letting them come to fruition because he loved you. That's incredible. Jesus is, has all authority in heaven and on earth. That will do for our episode today. We hope that this message helps you draw one step closer in your relationship with Jesus. As always, we encourage you to reach out if you have any questions or comments with email to podcast at shepnaz.org. You can follow Shepherd Church on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and the church website at shepnaz.org for all the latest in our online community. God bless and have a great day. This podcast is a production of the Shepherd Church of the Nazarene, Gehenna, Ohio. Email to podcast at shepnaz.org and let us know what you think.